Welcome to White Coats of the Round Table. I'm Mike Asbeck, and I'm here with John McDonald. Thank you for joining us today. If you are new to the show, give us a follow on all major streaming platforms. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't review us. John, last week we talked about burnout, and it was a really fantastic episode. I learned so much. I know you spent a lot of time researching the history of burnout and the history of burnout research, but it was really great. I'm not sure if every listener on today's podcast has listened to that original episode. If you haven't, go back and listen to that original episode, because a lot of what we're going to discuss today will build on that. But John, can you just give a very brief and concise summary of burnout research and maybe the history of burnout to roll into today's topic? Generally, what we talked about last time was uh, we talked about Freudenberger, you know, the first individual in psychiatry to coin the word burnout. And from 1974 all the way up until 2005 to 2011, where we had most significant data come through, we saw a major increase around sevenfold in the literature talking about burnout, specifically the word burnout or burn hyphen out. They did a large medical uh, PubMed search, uh, meta-analysis to see where we, where we came through since the 70s uh, compared to depression. And depression rose 3.4-fold in that time. Uh, but that was only up until 2011. And after that, it's only gone higher. The Mayo Clinic got involved. Uh, the AMA got involved, creating steps forward, equipping physicians and employers in how to identify and prevent burnout in their employees uh, or even for themselves. Um, so this is something that we can self-diagnose. Uh, this is not anything new in medicine. And even more now than ever, we're seeing practitioners, providers, um, APPs, I mean, every terminal degree out there, um, over half of the United States provider staff is, is, is self-reporting burnout or decrease joy in their, in their job. Uh, they don't have the passions that they used to. It's not because we are changing. It's because something externally is causing pressures that we have to respond to. And some of us are responding, I want to say with resilience, but some of us have a little bit more resilience, but that doesn't mean we're bad people. It's just all of us have our, our breaking point or the level to which we can carry certain stress. And that's what we want to talk to today. We talked about where it came in the literature. Today, we're going to talk about where we are now in, in the United States and even globally, because we're going to bring up some some studies and some organizations, even the UK, that are dealing with this right now. Yeah, just to give some context, I don't know if you saw the, the Mayo Clinic Proceedings just put out a new peer-reviewed peer journal article, and it says exactly what you talked about, that 2011, from then, there's just been an explosion of burnout. So 63% of physicians surveyed reported at least one symptom of burnout at the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022. And this was an increase from 46% in 2011. Mm. So a massive increase. And only 30% felt satisfied with their work-life balance compared to 43% five years earlier. So whatever's going mm. on, 
even now as we're coming out of the pandemic, the, the burnout issues are persisting, unfortunately. And if you remember, we talked about the original Mayo Clinic trial called the MEMO trial from 2011, 2014. And it's a sobering fact that these, these physicians who spent how many years of their life, we do talk about how much education they had. Um, it almost loses its luster the more we talk about it. But just think about that from a grand perspective of how many years you spend in clinical practice. Um, if you leave school at 17, 18, you do undergrad maybe four or five years, depending on what you're doing. Uh, you identify medical school. You go to medical, medical school for another four years. So that's eight to nine years, roughly, at that point. After that, you have to specialize. The minimum the minimum residency is how many years? Two, two, three years? Mm-hmm. I think it's two years for GP, maybe. I, I don't- Three or four Three still. or four? Mm-hmm. Three or four still. Um, and- even more so if you're getting to certain surgical uh, specializations and then there's fellowships and then there you're working on some grants and then you might start working in a clinical setting. By that time, you're in your mid to late thirties and that's where, that's where we are right now. And I couldn't imagine doing all that buildup to finally, I've done my research. I know that I'm passionate about this genome project and now I'm burned out and I can't even do anything about it. I think to, to follow up with last episode, you mm-hmm. talked about the leading cause of burnout is frustration with EMR yeah. and administrative tasks. And mm-hmm. imagine spending all that time in training to then become an attending, mm-hmm. to, to be in clinical practice, and then spend half your day doing paperwork. So my wife sent me a post today from a Walgreens employee who just received information from the corporate offices and it was tiered. It kept on more information, kept getting updated for them. But it started because they were going to be rolling out flu testing to their, their pharmacists. Now, when COVID testing started for pharmacists, it was primarily CVS that was taking the brunt of this. And every, every one of them I, I spoke to personally, they were exhausted beyond belief. But now we're talking about flu. How many people in the world in the world, let alone the United States, are affected by the flu. Uh, it's it's why we give the flu shot every single year because it causes complications of pneumonia. Um, upper respiratory infections can lead to other serious comorbidities if you're diabetic, heart failure, you know, even those with hyperlipidemia or hypercholesterolemia. So, so they said they're going to be rolling out flu, uh, flu testing at at Walgreens. They're going to be able to drive up, and the pharmacist is going to hand them the kit, and they go ahead and do it and drive through and send it back. Uh, then it changed to, no, they're going to, the, the pharmacists are going to have to administer the tests. And then they retracted everything and say, forget everything about the drive through We're going to have the patients come into the store so we can give them a red carpet, red carpet um, treatment and, and test them right in the store themselves. Now, uh, without going, getting, in, again, an emotional uh, rant about this, that's, I think that is uh, disregarding their clinical staff um, because they're not as protected as somebody who would, might be in, the, in maybe a healthcare setting. Um, we don't have the barriers or, or the resources available to take care of that, let alone on top of everything else. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about that when we get to, to the specifics of each um, practice or practitioner and how this might be affecting them as, as burnout increases. 
I think you bring up a good point, though, because one of the ways that I think we can combat burnout mm-hmm. is by having tasks delegated down to the mm-hmm. lowest level of competence possible. If everybody is practicing at the top of their scope, at the top of their license, mm-hmm. healthcare is going to be delivered in a more efficient manner. So we we always talk about this at my job. We never want a physician doing a task that can be effectively done by a PA or an NP. Mm-hmm. We don't want an APP doing a task that can be done by nursing staff. And we don't want nursing doing a job that can be done by secretarial staff. The reason for that is just an inefficient use of a limited resource. Mm-hmm. We have very few physicians. We need to make sure that their time is spent on the high acuity, mm-hmm. high complexity things that they went to school for 15 years to be able to handle. So doing things like this, as you're telling me this story, the, the thing that I can think of is, oh my goodness, just hire an LPN. Yeah. Like, why are we having pharmacists do this? What a waste of time. Mm-hmm. No offense to, uh, to no. Walgreens, I guess, but what an inefficient deployment of resources when this can be delegated down to a much lower professional level and done at just as high of a quality, I'm sure. Oh, I can give you one of the reasons why it doesn't happen. I've been in some of these conversations when when we started having an increase in immunizations in New York State itself started expanding the role of pharmacists in, in New York State, we realized that the pressures were going to go up. We're going to have more units per hour of something being done. And the idea to bring licensed nurse in, or, or registered nurses or LPNs or, that could administer these tasks or even uh, immunizations we couldn't do it because they have to be have oversight from a, a medical officer mm. and it has to be a doctor of medicine. Mm. And the cost of retaining a, a physician that would have to oversee how many stores. I mean, think about Walgreens. You couldn't have a single medical um, uh, CMO, you know, controlling everybody across the country. That'd, that'd be impossible. So there are complications that are r- realized. But it's still, it doesn't solve, it doesn't resolve the question as to adding extra burden onto these folks. What impact does that have in the healthcare system, uh, on their people, and even the dollars spent? So we may be getting ahead of ourselves because it sounds like you've identified Mm -hmm. a regulatory environment that may be contributing to burnout. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that deeper, I want to talk today. So I understand that really today as part two of our burnout episode, we're going to focus on signs and symptoms and mm-hmm. identifying burnout. So before we dive into that, though, give me a basic overview of what burnout is. I know you gave the definition last week, but mm-hmm. once again, I want to make sure that we're not leaving any listeners behind. So can you redefine burnout for me before we actually talk about signs and symptoms? I'll just bring it back to the Mayo Clinic then. Uh- because they're well-known across the whole country um, and national, internationally as well, they define burnout as a syndrome of emotional exhaustion, loss of meaning in work, feelings of ineffectiveness, and a tendency to view people as objects rather than human beings. Um, it's, it, it sounds pretty, the drudgery here is real. It, it's, it's, it's sad that if somebody um, comes to that place in their life, but we're seeing percentages at this point this isn't one or two people. This is a a majority of the clinical population. So that means you're going to the you're going to your doctor's office, and you may have a nurse that you're an object to them. Not not by not because you did anything. It's just they can't handle it anymore. So John, let's dive into signs and symptoms of burnout. What 
does burnout look like? Because I think everybody has heard the term burnout. Obviously, it's something that, as you said, a majority of healthcare professionals may have at least one symptom of. But I don't think a lot of people may be able to properly identify what that actually looks like. So what is burnout? So I want to talk about a little bit about how you would recognize burnout if you were looking in the mirror or maybe you have a colleague and you can tell they're stressed out. There are other symptoms underlying that you can you can see, recognize and even bring it up. You know, it doesn't need to be personal. It can be brought up with your employer. Maybe we need to talk about wellness a little bit more. Uh, but let's differentiate just a little bit more though, because there is stress and then there is burnout. So when we look at workplace stress, it's going to be acute and it's minute by minute. Everybody experiences it. Everybody from uh, uh, somebody working the line cook uh, to a mother, to somebody who is a caretaker for an elderly person, everybody's going to experience stress at some point in their work. This is why we get paid. It's a stressful thing. Now, it's when it goes outside of that, that it becomes uh, something greater and taking uh, overtaking your life. So when I was listening to, I mentioned them last time, the Curbside Podcast, great guys, uh, both physicians, they were talking about the criteria for the Mazik bur- burnout. Uh, we will link that as well, um, as as well as something we, we discussed last week called the Mini Z. Uh, Dr. Linder was the one that um, introduced this. And this is a great way to look in a mirror of sorts to see if you are experiencing. But the difference they mentioned was between blood pressure and hypertension. All right. So you go to the doctor's office, you sit down, um, they take your blood pressure. You have 155 over 91 and your doctor is a little bit concerned, but you didn't tell them that you just climbed three steps of this, you know, three flights of stairs and they rushed you in. They started talking to you about your missed medical payment last week. And that's, that's just blood pressure. We blood pressure is natural and it self resolves with time um, and can with exercise can even get better or correct eating. But when you have hypertension, it could be familial hypertension. Um, It could be idiopathic. We don't know. Um, There's, it could be diet. It could be lethargy. It could be anything like sedentary lifestyles. Even that's where we come into the burnout is it's a chronic condition that doesn't go away with time, um, p- potentially exercise, because it's, it's multifactorial. Okay, so signs and symptoms. Um, why don't we move into priori or priori? Um, I'm not sure how the English pronounce it, uh, but I'm not going to do an English accent. Um, oh. It just, I cannot be canceled yet again on, on this platform. So, uh, Priori. Is it cultural appropriation if it's English? Well, I'm Irish. Just remember this mm, because mm-hmm. we don't need to go back. Okay. It can okay. get complicated. Thank you. Them, yes. uh, it is a, a United Kingdom mental health institution, priori or priori. So they define clinical burnout as the best described as a state of severe emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion, which is often defined by excessive and prolonged periods of stress, just like we mentioned. And these conditions cause individuals to experience enormous distress when attempting to meet the constant demands of life. So it's not necessarily just work. People can say, oh, COVID itself crushed me. Uh, more patients, angry patients, more dying, uh, 
less labor in the workforce. There's lots of reasons why COVID would be stressful for most people, but it's because at home, their kids can't go to school. Uh, maybe their spouse was furloughed or laid off. Maybe financial issues are coming up. Maybe some mental health uh, problems are arising again. A slew of things in their life have come on top of their workplace, which is already inflamed. And just like when they started doing PTSD research after World War I, when we looked at the shell shock, what was it? Um, they didn't know what was causing it. These were strong individuals going to war at that point. They weren't weak. And everybody has their breaking point they found. It, and there's no way to find that breaking point. There's no measurable um, di- uh, mini, whatever you want to call it, to see how weak is this person. Because it doesn't have to do with weakness. These are the signs and symptoms of clinical burnout or burnout, if you may. Fatigue, insomnia, forgetfulness, maybe a lack of concentration. You're going to be more susceptible to illness. You're going to have a loss of appetite, maybe, probably. Physical symptoms might include heart palpitations, dizziness, uh, headaches, uh, gastrointestinal uh, disorders, and maybe diarrhea even. Anxiety, depression, anger, and probably worse of all at this point is isolation. So I think the interesting thing with that list is every single person in healthcare has experienced at least one of those symptoms. We we talked earlier on the in the episode that I think it was what 60% of physicians reported at least one symptom of burnout. Well, I would argue that that may be an underreporting if you look at those symptoms. What healthcare provider isn't fatigued? Mm. What healthcare provider hasn't had insomnia? Maybe they're working atypical hours. What healthcare provider maybe has not had, you know, physical symptoms or even anxiety about their job? In the last episode, we talked about burnout, and I, I said that I didn't ever feel that I had been burned out. But now as you go through that list, I'm looking that, at that and saying, oh, well, I've been fatigued because of my job. Mm-hmm. I've had difficulties with, you know, forgetfulness at my job, where maybe I'm struggling to concentrate on certain tasks when I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I wouldn't consider myself burned out. I've generally always enjoyed my clinical role, but I've experienced these symptoms at times. So mm-hmm. to, to summarize, I guess what I'm saying in a question is, at what point do these symptoms become a concern? If, if you're an individual listening to this and you say, well, I'm fatigued, mm-hmm. I'm having insomnia, how long do you think these symptoms have to be persistent or present before we say, this is a stressful phase of our job mm-hmm. versus, oh my gosh, I'm burned out? The sad thing is, Mike, if you don't have a clinical definition as we might have in the ICD-10 at this point, chronic versus acute is subjective at this point. So defining it in your opinion doesn't actually matter. Mm. Would you say functionality is maybe a good yardstick for that? If if I were to um, explain this, what I would say is it's not necessarily the acute versus chronic. It would be what have you done consistently to try and combat this? And is it helping? So one might say, I began eating better. You know, I ate, I ate healthy. I'm still feeling this. I, I've been seeing a therapist. Um, I, I had to get a psychiatrist. I feel embarrassed by it. I don't want my coworkers to know. I started an SSRI. I had to go on a benzo for a little bit, maybe even a sleep medication. 
I don't want them to know about that. That's embarrassing. It's personal. Um, maybe you started exercising. Maybe you actually started losing weight. Um, maybe you started seeing a marriage counselor with your spouse. You've done all these things, but yet you go to work and you think things are going to get better, but yet they crush you. Again, you can't keep up with the workflow. Um, you, you're distracted in the workplace. Maybe you're, have, maybe you're having errors in the workplace and it's, it's causing discipline in the workspace. It compounds on itself over again because it's not recognized as something that needs to be treated. So maybe your employer or colleague see it as laziness. And you probably see it as laziness too. If you've experienced burnout, you say, am I lazy? Am I, have I just given up on myself? Have I given up on everybody else around here? Um, I've been doing everything I can, truly, but I'm still in this space. It's at the point, almost like an alcoholic in a sense. Now, I don't want to compare this to alcoholism. Um, it's probably already a, a, a testy subject. Um, there's lots of feelings on the other side of it, but everybody recognizes the, the picture of you have to hit rock bottom before you decide to make the change um, as an alcoholic. In this situation, Sometimes you're forced upon it because you might be fired, disciplined, suspended. Maybe you, um, maybe your work suffers and you have to go out on medical. Maybe you have to go on disability. Maybe you just quit. Maybe you switch careers and go to a low impact job, but it's never been addressed. So I think I want to take the liberty here mm -hmm. then as the, the psych provider on this podcast of mm -hmm. saying that if you are a healthcare professional, and you are experiencing workplace stress that is leading to a functional impact in your life. And by that, I think that can include occupational performance mm -hmm. or personal impact. Yes. Impairment in your personal life. The social life. That is the red flag that should indicate to you that there is a major concern for burnout and you need to address that. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean leave your job, mm -hmm. but it means that this needs to be addressed and not left alone not mm -hmm. left you know just oh i'll just shove it under the mat it'll be fine this is something that needs to be examined either professionally mm -hmm. interpersonally with your spouse with your family faith communities even yeah some absolutely people use that so i would agree with you it, it's like adhd um many physicians will not treat add adhd of any subtype until it impacts them socially if they can function um and it's it's more of a a mere um, maybe there's some disciplines they can uh, put into their life to slow them down, to help them think, just maybe CBT, you know, maybe CBT works for them. But once it impacts them socially, they're not going to treat um, prior to that. I think that's more, you can apply that more broadly to any mental health condition. In psychiatry, we will not make a diagnosis unless there's a significant impairment. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is you're allowed to have down days. Sure, yeah. You know, life is adverse. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be struggle. I've yet to meet anyone that has had no struggle in their life. So yeah. there's going to be days where you may feel down. There may be days where you just want to watch Netflix in bed. Sure. And that's okay. Okay. But the key is that that's not happening day in and day out. You're Which, not having a functional impairment. Can I reverse the question in, then? Out. Absolutely. So we, in depression, the, the question is always, are you avoiding things you once loved? Mm-hmm. Are you not engaging socially with friends anymore? Mm -hmm. are, are people questioning why you're ghosting me or where have you been? Um, the isolation for that, when I mentioned that was the, to me, 
probably the most uh, emotional or, or difficult to grasp uh, symptom is you do isolate yourself. It would it, because we differentiate burnout versus depression. So what would you say, how do you, how do you, would you as a clinician differentiate the two? I think it's hard to differentiate because there mm-hmm. is so much carryover. I, sure. I think, you know, most people, if you're burned out, there's probably some aspect of depression or anxiety, maybe not enough to consider it a clinical diagnosis, but it probably is having an impact. So it, it's hard to say, mm-hmm. you know, because you're going to have these levels of impact, such as isolation with both depression and or with professional burnout. I think the hard thing with it, though, is isolation specifically, physical symptoms too. If you are isolating, that is going to accelerate the negative impact of the burnout or of the depression on your mm-hmm. life. Because one of the best things that you can do to combat depression and presumably to combat burnout is lean in on your social supports. Sure. Lean in with family. Lean in with your faith community. Lean in with you things know, whatever that fill hobby you, you have. Exactly, it, the things that fulfill mm-hmm. you. So when you're isolating, not only is that bad for your mental health, mm-hmm. but that is also going to potentially exacerbate these early stages of burnout. Mm-hmm. This is why it's important to identify burnout early on in the process so that you can be proactive in addressing it. Uh, mental health awareness I see it all over LinkedIn, hashtag mental health, health awareness. And it's, it is disappointing. And I, I'm preaching to the choir here, you know, you being in psych, but the, the amount of folks out there that could benefit from minor um, tweaks and how they can adjust their mental health to a healthier outcome, they won't do it. It's, it's still viewed as weakness. It's still viewed as I'm the only one dealing with this. So I'm hoping at, at this podcast might even drive people to identify if it isn't clinical burnout, maybe it is just clinical depression. Maybe it is a uh, general anxiety disorder. Um, maybe you just need to be seen by a therapist. Uh, it, there's lots of employers out there that will not, they still won't cover therapy for their employees. It's not it's not general practice, but we could stop a lot of disease from progressing into more complicated cases of psychiatric disorders if we would just hit it earlier with therapy. Um, but I think our generation's doing a lot better with that. With Even my kids, I'm thinking, okay, um, I've been in therapy before and um, I'm, I'm okay saying that. I don't think it's anything to be embarrassed about. It's good to bounce things off of people who have an outside view who aren't your family members. But you look at the people around you, you look at your own childhood, you look at your kids, you think, you know, I wish I had the the support that's out there right now. And even I wish that I had been maybe, I'm going to say coddled, but trained in that way to think critically about your behavior um, and how your your emotions and what you think affect your actions and, and your life. So I do want to, I, I want to move ahead a little bit though. So we're in signs and symptoms. and. If again, if you have questions about the specific, some of those symptoms we mentioned, let's get into it. But I want to draw to the point that we have a culture of healthcare that drives pressure. So what I mean by this is this physician culture or provider culture of this badge of honor when you work the extra shifts Mm -hmm. um, or working while sick, Mm -hmm. um, this culture of endurance to do everything possible, even just denying yourself in order just to get the job done. Mm-hmm. 
um, if you've ever worked in a surgical center or any sort of surgical support, did you ever do any uh, rotations in a few, the surgery? Yeah, as a student. So tell me, there's a there, there's a great TikTok out there, um, Doctor Glaucoma. What is it? Glaucofecan. Glaucofecan. Oh, okay. If yes. you've if you've seen his TikToks, uh, whoever's listening here, he's hilarious. I'm gonna link some of his stuff on we'll our post LinkedIn. Him on our LinkedIn. Um, but he talks about the different personalities of the ER doctor versus the um, <laughs> the the, uh, the surgeon, general practitioner, and the quirky ones out there too. What would you say the culture is in the surgery centers versus in an outpatient oncology uh, treatment center? Right. I think different specialties do have different culture. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, the way that I ended up in psychiatry, the beautiful thing about PA is your training is generalist mm -hmm. instead of a residency such as physicians have. We, we come out as generalists and then have a more limited scope of practice in exchange for on-the-job training. Mm. When I graduated, I had interviews with general surgery, ER, orthopedics, and then psychiatry. Very odd grouping sure. of them. And I loved the idea of OR. I thought surgery was exciting. Surgery bros, was man. fun. Yeah. All the jocks went into surgery, so it was a good fit for me. Dropping, uh, what did Kramer drop in the uh, in the open? Oh, the, the uh, junior mints. Junior yes, mints, right. Yeah, dropping junior mints. The miraculous cavities. junior mints, yes. That's right. But thankfully, even at a young age, when I was interviewing for these jobs, I was already married. My wife and I got married in school, and we wanted to have a young family. Sure. And I realized that... I did not want to work in a career where I was going to get called in on Christmas Eve sure. for the next 40 years. Yeah. And I'm very thankful that people do it because mm -hmm. if I fall and break a hip on Christmas Eve, I'm yeah. going to be really thankful that someone will be there to fix it. But I realized that culture mattered. And not only did I want to do something that was exciting and fun mm -hmm. in medicine, but I also wanted to do something that would give me the work-life balance that I wanted. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the reasons I went into psychiatry was not only because I was fascinated by the mind. Mm -hmm. uh, you but, like the smell of patchouli and stuff like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But it was also a desire to have a a career that gave me more agency, more ownership. Sure. And in outpatient psychiatry, I work nine to five, Monday through sure. Friday. So it provides a really nice opportunity for good balance. There's, a, there's reasons why we take personality tests when we're trying to figure out when we are 17 and 18, maybe what do we even need to study in school? Because as much as I loved John Wayne growing up, there's no way I'm going to be a special forces Green Beret blowing up bridges. Like I actually had you pegged as that. Well, I was shocked you looking didn't at my body back. type and height, you probably would think that more the, of like the a five foot six cell. gingers are not highly well, recruited. Think about it in Ireland. Ah, I, yes. I just hide among hide among the people. Okay, so there are. Whatever the genetic predisposition is, I'm sure we're going to figure something out in the future. But the pre people who are in special forces are not going to do well at daddy daycare, right? right? And vice versa. It's just we weren't built that way, right. maybe. So we have taken the culture that was in that maybe we'll call them type A individuals, the alpha, the um, uh, I don't know. I, I eat sand for breakfast and love it or you took, you brought that into a general medicine practice or outpatient practices where we say, be the best you can be. Like this is the military where that's great. Be the best you can be. But what they're really saying is be the best is Brad because Brad's killing numbers over here. And now we're going to raise the, uh, the metrics to, to meet that. And that might be more an outpatient, 
but there is a sense that we have an issue and this might be subjective. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this and I'm willing to be proven wrong, but we have a problem in healthcare where we keep on saying we are losing dollars on this or that. We are getting less reimbursement. So in order to replace that reimbursement, we have to add additional care in. We have to offer more services. Maybe we offer more um, a la carte patient care, medical spa treatments, things, things that are outside of what we went to school for that add extra pressures on. So that's what I mean by this is that the metrics have to increase mm-hmm. in order to meet the gap that has uh, come from the changes in insurance reimbursements. It is an interesting point, though, that, you know, I don't think 60% of special forces get burned out. Sure. And the military is, you know, known for, you know, driving people very hard and it being very psychologically taxing. Mm -hmm. And maybe there is burnout there because, you know, suicide within the military is at, you know, epidemic rates. Mm -hmm. So so maybe there is major problems culturally Mm -hmm. there, too. But I think you make a good point, though, that it's not that there's good culture or bad culture in medicine per se, but rather that there's differences in culture among specialties. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of the burnout is actually happening from an incongruence or a mismatch mm-hmm. in culture. Could be. If you are someone who is, you know, who are, who are special forces, mm-hmm. you're probably going to thrive in a trauma one ER where you're working tons of hours and everything is super fast paced. That same person though may be miserable in a you know outpatient psychiatry clinic where it's more slow more focused on you know connecting with the patient Mm -hmm. so some of it may also just be making sure that your fit Mm -hmm. is one where you're seeking jobs that are going to be good for you as a person because everybody's going to have different strengths everyone's going to have different weaknesses everyone's going to have different preferences in what they do i don't want people to hear this though and think you're the reason for the burnout or you should have made a better Mm -hmm. choice going Mm -hmm. into school um, many of us realize later in that, okay, I, I do want to do this job, but not in this setting. Maybe I want to go to a different setting and we can do that. I think more so I would look at it and say that if you are, let's use ortho as an example, mm-hmm. if you are in an orthopedic setting and you're in the OR four days a week, you are working 60 hours a week and you're feeling burned out. Mm-hmm. It's not that you need to leave the specialty that mm-hmm. you are loving, but rather maybe it's an opportunity to find a practice that's going to be more rehabilitative and less operational, Mm. less hours that are covering ERs, you know, less things that are going to drive those factors of burnout. Mm. It's not necessarily that you have to leave something that you've trained years and years to do, but rather find a different fit. We've talked about this with pharmacy Mm. where certain retail pharmacy settings may be incredibly high paced and incredibly difficult, but other retail settings may have a completely different vibe or a, sure. a completely different culture. So just finding the right fit for you, because maybe you're someone that does want a high pace. Some people may burn out because they're bored at their job. I don't mm-hmm. think there's many healthcare providers these these days that are that way. <laughs> okay. So if we move ahead a little bit, because we're talking about identifying if you have these and we're going to talk a little bit more on the Patreon about some specific instances as to maybe how I may feel about it or how you might even feel about it because there's no correct answer per se. So the causes of burnout, or let's go to risk risk factors first, because this is how we always start any education for disease states. We talk about epidemiology, etiology. We did that the last podcast. Now we're going to talk about risk factors. 
those who are at risk for experiencing burnout are the ones who do not work well under pressure. They exist. And that's not a bad thing. It's just you might need a low pressure um, position. Like you mentioned, if you thought you could go in and you wanted to do uh, podiatry, but you ended up going into um, uh, cardiac ICU work, it's like that is or NICU work even. That's a way to have a stress for somebody like you. And maybe you realize that, maybe you don't. So that's a high risk factor uh, or that's a risk factor for high chance. Uh, those who struggle with anxiety and depression as a baseline, whether it's familial or not, or cause of workplace stress, you are already have raised your baseline to meet your, what you might call, I'm overwhelmed. And when you f- have that feeling of, of being overwhelmed, you're just closer to that goal. Uh, and this is where, this is what I wanted to get at and which I want to go a little bit more to on the Patreon, but those who have a perfectionist viewpoint. So I've heard this among many of my colleagues, not pharmacists, um, across the healthcare system, who are in different, different specialties. Uh, they will look at their partners uh, or their colleagues themselves and say, why is everybody okay coming to work, doing their job description? Once that clock hits, punching it, peace out, y'all, I'm going home. And you're over here stressing, maybe coming in early, maybe you're staying late, maybe you're filling in gaps um, that had nothing to do with job description because you see the patient's going to suffer that if this doesn't handle, get handled. Um, maybe you just yourself, you have a higher expectation for yourself. Like I expect more from me over other people. I, I look at this person who's, who's functioning in this role and I say, you're not doing enough. I need to either pick, I need to pick up your slack and I just, I feel better. Like this is, I'm built to work hard, right? Now that's perfectionism. If you I hold yourself to a high enough standard, you're not going to meet it. So that's a risk factor in of itself. I'm reading a book right now, and this is maybe a personal book mm-hmm. thing, but we'll, we'll weave it in. So it's called, I think it's called, This Is Going to Hurt a Little. Okay. Or This Is Going to Hurt by Dr. Adam Kay. And it's a book about his residency. He's a UK physician okay. and he's an OBGYN. And one of the big things he talks about is how constantly he would have to stay late because the hospital was understaffed mm-hmm. and the hospital knew that they would stay, they huh? would stay mm-hmm. because the alternative was that patients would be put at risk. Patients' outcomes may be affected. It's an ethical conundrum we keep talking about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And especially, I think this is so true with residents where, my goodness, I, I have so much respect for physicians and physician training mm-hmm. because residency is just, you know, talk about burnout. It is four years of hell. Yeah. And it's valuable in the sense that you come out with, you know, an immense amount of clinical experience sure. because you're working so many hours, you're going through so many things that are just intense. Mm-hmm. But it is just so destructive, in my opinion, for personal well-being. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I don't know what the alternative is because I think we need to have residency training that creates subject matter experts out of sure. physicians. But at the same time, it's just reading this book it's destroying mm-hmm. these people's psychological well-being it, it would it would behoove us to ask the question people who go into the military into these special forces know exactly what they're getting into they know the high rates of ptsd coming out alcoholism drug abuse suicide and we thank them for their service mm-hmm. and say 
we know that most of us couldn't do that physically, but mostly emotionally, we couldn't handle it. And we understand you are literally sacrificing your life for the country. Is that how we are supposed to view this then? I think we should, especially for physicians. I mean, and this is coming from someone who is it's a, not is, a physician. Is it a choice or do you think if they got confused and saying, I should pick a different specialty because I'm going to, I'm not going to be myself anymore. This isn't me anymore. How do, how do they reconcile those thoughts? Because I'm sure every resident has gone through that. I think we should try and have a physician on to talk about burnout specifically, since I, I really want to be careful that we're not speaking for a profession want, that is yeah. not us. But I think it'd be a great conversation to have because I do think that physician burnout is a little bit more different than other healthcare professional I burnout just because of the nature of the training and the expectations for responsibility. So here's a call to action then. Anybody out here listening who might have a friend, family member, you yourself are a physician. Um, and I think maybe even in the high stress positions like emergency medicine, uh, trauma medicine, um, ICU or surgery, I think it would, I think it would be eye-opening for any of our listen, listeners to see what level of stress we're talking about and maybe how do you handle it. Um, and if you can come on and we'll talk about it, uh, we'll let you say your piece and we're not going to talk for you, but so let's move on then. Yeah. Uh, tell me more about causes of burnout. Okay. So if you're, you're going to put yourself in the position of burnout, if you say yes to everybody, if you cannot say no, that goes right to what we're, the perfectionism we, we just mentioned, uh, sacrificing personal time, breaks or even taking lunches. I've worked through, um, I shouldn't say that I'm on a podcast right now. So I've had to take later lunches than I usually take. Um, and I know that many people in the, I'm being very careful here have had to forego the time in their lunch to continue their work, right? You're supposed to legally take a lunch, so you have to find the time to take it. It might not be the time you prefer, right? So you might end up taking it towards the end of your shift. It might not be right in the middle. You might take a doubles tomorrow, whatever it might be. But let's talk about coming in early, staying late. You're not being paid for those hours. Uh, so as an employee, you are breaching your own contract of sorts saying, I agreed to work this many hours for this much pay. If your employer is not saying boo to that, then essentially they're saying, yes, overwork yourself and I will not pay you more. It is, uh, it is by omission that they are allowing it, uh, especially when they know it's happening. Um, so make sure you take your personal time when you're supposed to take your personal time, take it seriously. Uh, it's as good for you as if you have a family, your family's probably begging for it even. So shifting personal priorities to meet work demands so that work-life imbalance. You might even say, okay, spouse, uh, they're asking me to work uh, 12 on, five off, and they'll give me an additional week of pay. Your wife's gonna say, okay, well, or husband might say, okay, well, that sounds, sounds like, Okay, I mean that's that is a lot of extra money, and it's gonna be a hard couple of weeks, but I think we can do it. Is that healthy for your family? Probably, I don't know. Yeah, um, it might have to be the demand. But lastly, let's say the inability to have stress relief as a part every day part of life, and I do want to get into that. I'm gonna let you say your piece before I get into that because that's gonna be part of the treatment. Um, part of the treatment is actually reducing the risks as well. So we'll get into that a bit more. Good tease for the next episode. So what I would propose is let's switch over to the Patreon side okay. and let's talk maybe a little bit more about 
burnout within the professions? Because I think we talked about it a little bit of just maybe physicians are unique Mm -hmm. because of their training and their role. But I think every profession has different aspects that maybe protect them or put them at greater risk of burnout. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good conversation to take over to the patron side. Okay. But as always, before we dive into the patron side, we always like to talk about some personal things that are going on. And the reason for it is healthcare is all consuming. And we want to make sure that we don't lose our humanity, especially as we're talking about burnout. So, John, do you want to go first? What's going on personally? I've had a glass of wine. So this is Mm -hmm. this is good. Oh, man, personally, uh, there is a heck of a lot going on personally. Uh, but let's stick How to- How much that you want to share? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a separate Patreon, Patreon that you can subscribe to for a lot of money, and I'll tell you everything about me. Um, uh, so personally, wow, uh, it is towards the end of summer. I think I mentioned last time how I was on Audible. And I was crushing some books on Audible. And I'm pretty sure, Sarah, you clipped part of what I said because it was very short. It was boring. Ooh. Mm. Really? Well, no, but maybe she clipped it because you've talked about Audible not three episodes in a row. <laughs> I just want Audible to sponsor me. That's all. <laughs> Audible, <laughs> they, please sponsor Well, they John. keep giving me badges. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe this will lead some full-time Audible reader, listener. Anyways, so right now, this is my favorite time of year. Uh when I look outside right now and the sun is rising, I see nothing more beautiful in the world than goldenrod. Do you know what goldenrod is? Oh, I'm acutely aware because it you makes me quite apneic yeah. at night. Yes. Okay. Your suffering is my pleasure then because <laughs> goldenrod, for whatever reason, um, is just one of the most beautiful things in the world. Um, it is pretty. Uh my wife still exceeds this. I'm sorry, though. So I, I step outside. It is freezing cold out. It is crisp. There's dew on the ground. I see goldenrod, and I have a barn in my backyard. I'm going to post a picture of my barn one day, guys. This is uh, Old McDonald does have a farm, uh, E-I-E-I-O. But in this area, I just get excited. I get, I just, I get filled with energy. But what we did today, Mike, I think everybody's going to love this one. I've been, and I might even post the videos, I've been taking apart Nerf guns for my kids uh, the old, pe- the people who owned the house before us left a bunch of Nerf guns. I've been taking them apart and they like Fortnite. So I bought all the different sprays and chrome and gold and purple and all the, and we are taking all these apart, cleaning them, you know, scrubbing them down and we're painting them all th- whatever Fortnite colors and, and fashions they want. So it's not really for me, but I can't say, That's dang, awesome. I am having a great time with that. That is awesome. Yeah. It's a random good, th- what about you though? I've seen some TikToks of people uh-huh. that are repurposing these Nerf guns okay. and adding, you know, yeah, the mods. huge batteries mm-hmm. and, and increasing the FPS. So that's mm-hmm. yeah, pretty cool. So I think in the last episode, I talked about my backpacking trip with my oldest son, right? Yeah, I missed okay. it. Yep. So that happened um, and it was amazing. So we hiked into the Adirondacks and climbed Mount Marcy, which ended up being, I think, a 16 mile round trip. And my eight year old just crushed it. Was it a type two fun or was it a... No. I mean, it was maybe type two fun for my dad and I because we were struggling to keep up with him. Uh He didn't complain once. We hiked, you know, 16 miles. I think it was 3,000 feet of elevation gain. And he loved it. There was one point when we got above the tree line, the the wind gusts were 45 miles an hour. The wind chill was minus two. Mm. So we did get a little bit of type two there. Mm -hmm. 
but he he had a little moment of nervousness because it was icy and a little sure. bit sketchy. And it was so cool though because he we sat down, he collected himself. Mm-hmm. I said, "We can turn around. We do not have to go to the top. I'm not going to force you to do anything." And he said, "No, I'm going to make it." And he got up and he made it to the summit and it was this incredible like proud parent proud moment. Dad moment. Mm-hmm. Because this is one of the big reasons why I love outdoor activities sure. because I think Building resiliency Mm. through adversity is a really important thing. And I think outdoor activities such as hiking, rock climbing, Mm -hmm. mountain biking are opportunities for controlled adversity that builds resiliency. And resiliency could be a way to combat burnout as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole separate. I'm actually talking about outdoor activities with I'm working on a presentation right now for a conference on the benefits of outdoor recreation Mm -hmm. for mental well-being. I think we'll have to talk about it as an episode as it relates to burnout. But yeah, it was so cool to see my eight-year-old do something that was difficult, mm-hmm. do something that maybe pushed him mentally. He really didn't struggle physically, but it pushed him maybe to his mental limits. Mm-hmm. And he overcame it, and it was really and exciting. You didn't have to say, let's go. You can do it. You just... Nope, he, I was not going to. He he had to overcome it on his own, and he did. Oh, man. It was, it was pretty awesome. Well, you, you got some good kids. Maybe, um, yeah. I've got... I'll keep them. I yeah what you, you can I love my kids Mike I love them thank you everybody this is white coats of the round table once again this is Mike Asbeck and John McDonald we appreciate you guys following us on this and coming along on this journey if you have not subscribed follow us on any of the major streaming platforms as we said earlier we're now going to take this over to our Patreon feed where with every week we do a bonus episode for all of our loyal listeners If you are not a Patreon member but would like to join, you can go to patreon.com slash WCRT. Membership options as low as $5 a month with many valuable benefits, including bonus episodes, show notes, and job listings for non-clinical roles. But if you're not joining us in the Patreon feed, until next time, this is Mike and John, and we're White Coats of the Roundtable. See you later, guys.